Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. Welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and I'm here today with my guest, Bunny Young. I'm very excited to hear her story. She overcame a heart condition to become a stunt woman, which is exciting in and of itself, but she has a real life of resilience, and now she is a, a business consultant and encourages others and helps them in work-life alignment and just being able to see through their big problems to help them solve those. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I'm very excited and interested to hear what you have to share with us. Tell us a little bit about your heart condition and how that, how you had to rise above that. And then how does that tie into being a stunt woman? Those sound like quite yeah. yeah. So I have an amazing life. And when I was diagnosed with a heart condition, I was extremely active playing multiple sports. And I remember walking out of the doctor's office and the, you know, the doctor had confirmed this heart condition and kind of put some parameters around my life and my expectations and what I could and could not do. And I evaluated those. And this is, we've come a long way in medicine since I was diagnosed with that, but they didn't know as much as they know now. And so I kind of went through the checklist of what my parameters were and was like, that doesn't really sound like a life. That sounds like just surviving. So I have an, I have an opportunity to either live this life that I've been given and accept whatever ending is going to come. Or I have this other option to really not be within my core values and, and live my life the way that I would enjoy it and just kind of treat myself as this delicate flower. And when I decided, you know, this, this diagnosis is my permission to live and to not waste any more time. And then shortly after that, my best friend was killed in a car accident. And I really struggled after that, trying to figure out for about six to eight months, just trying to figure out why. And why did this happen to him? And, you know, I'm the one with the heart condition. Why am I still living? And he's gone. He's perfectly healthy. And then when I started college, it was just this continuation of, well, back up because I went down to Ecuador the summer in between college and high school. And I remember seeing these people who were so happy with so little in comparison to our Western American lifestyle. And I just thought, you know, and every single day, the woman that I was staying with, I call her my mother of Ecuador, she would go and shop for fresh fruit, vegetables, everything, every single day. And I was just thinking, you know, she's in her eighties, like how, you know, I can't even get out of bed some mornings and she's just doing this. And it was, it was slowly this introduction into kind of like how life really is what you make of it. And it just kept mirroring that to me. And then by the time I got into college and really started studying psychology and because of my experience in Ecuador, I really wanted to work in international civil rights. I just started to see how really you get this one gift of this life and you can, you know, do with it whatever you want to. And to your point about being a stunt woman. So I was given this opportunity to be a stunt woman and moved to China and never lived in China, didn't know anybody there. Yeah. And 
one of the things that I was taught as a stunt woman is if you, when you get lit on fire, as long as you keep moving, you don't get burned. Okay. And I'm like, what an incredible lesson for life. Yeah. Like how amazing is that, that if you just keep moving, right. And then you'll be safe in some way, shape or form. So, and then trusting stop, drop and roll though. I thought you're supposed to stop when you're you're (laughs) on fire. (laughs) So at some point we do stop and drop, but then we have, that's a really good point because then we have a team that puts us out. And so, you know, the other thing about being a stunt woman is that it taught me the value of having people that you trust around you and having a, a team and having a risk portfolio and those kinds of things, which people are like, how did you go from being a stunt woman to a businesswoman? And I explained that it's so many business lessons are on a, a set, you know, as far as having a plan, having systems, having redundancies, having good people around you, knowing your experience, not doing something that's outside of your experience without practice, knowing your craft and being passionate about it. Nobody wants to see a stunt woman that's like not passionate. You know, like if you've watched Wonder Woman or any of those superhero movies, like you you would not want to watch the movie if like everybody was just kind of like lazily, you know, fighting each other. No, they do it with this passion in their craft. So that's kind of where I picked up and learned like, you know, life is really just about making the most out of each and every day you have. And if you keep doing that every single day, then you're going to end up with this culmination of a bunch of amazing days and that's going to be your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's incredible. I have so many questions, so many directions I want to go, but I love what you said at the outset of your diagnosis gave you permission to live. I just mm-hmm. thought that was, re- you don't normally think of a diagnosis in that way. What was there somebody that spoke that to you or that's just what came to you or was it part of your upbringing or like, how did you decide to face your diagnosis as an opportunity? Yeah, I think that is probably all true, everything, as far as the the people that are involved in my life. And did somebody speak it to me that day, that morning at that doctor's office? No. However, you know, uh, I'm an only child. And so um, I have a really close relationship with my parents and they've always kind of given me permission to fail big, (laughs) try hard. And so, and, and basically what they were saying without saying it is live your life and we're going to love you no matter what. Mm -hmm. And I think very simply for a teenager, given the options to live or given the options to, you know, not do all of the things that they love to do. Mm -hmm. It was very simple at the time. We can look back and say, wow, that's really profound. But at the time it was very simple and almost to the point of somebody could say, well, that's, that's selfish not to take care of yourself. And I would argue that if I had done that, I would have decayed. I believe that my quality of life would have decayed immensely. And I probably wouldn't be here because the things that make my heart sing are the same things that I was told not to do because they're dangerous to my heart. So there's the physical aspect of my heart. And then there's the spiritual and, you know, mental and emotional part of my being that I had to make sure were fulfilled. And that's where I can look back and be like, oh, that's without knowing it. That's what I was doing. Mm, Yeah. And I can see how that could be dependent on, you know, different people could approach that different ways. You know, you feel like, you know, to be the person you were created to be, you need to do these things. Whereas somebody who maybe had different passions, you know, maybe that might play out differently in their life. But how, so here's my next question is how do you get into 
doing stunts? Like, is there a stunt woman <laughs> school or is it just you try crazy things as a kid? And, you know, cause I, I have a couple, I have eight kids, but a couple of them are, <laughs> they seem to think of themselves as stunt people already. I don't know. <laughs> so those are, those are two separate questions. How did I get into stunt work is I married into it. Okay. So my partner at the time said, you know, I've got this contract to go to China. You can go with me, but since it's a communist country, you can only go for married. Mm -hmm. And I still Liz, to this day, don't know if that was true or if he just said that in order for us to get married. <laughs> I haven't figured it out, but you know, two kids later and an amazing marriage later, like I'm perfectly happy with the decision. Yeah. And so the second part of your question is how do you get started as, as a stunt professional if you don't take the route that I did, which I don't recommend for everybody or the faint of heart. Don't learning stunts in China was a whole different uh, career path. Mm -hmm. So, and I also came from a modeling background. So I was a professional model for a while prior to going into the stunt industry. So I had some acting and entertaining experience, but there is a stunt professional school. There's a lot of them. And then there's, you can get your SAG card, uh, screen actors guild card. So being able to, to work on films and you can be a stunt professional for a live action stunt show. Like I was, you can be a stunt professional for TV, for film, commercials. There's, there's all different paths to being a stunt professional. I ride horses. And so that's one of my specialties is being able to, you know, ride horses. And basically, if you think of it, there are stunt professionals to drink hot coffee because they don't want to risk the actor, actress being able to, to burn themselves. So there's stunt professionals used for kind of the most incredible things, tripping, you know, which is something I do on the daily. I'm probably also a stunt expert at tripping and falling, but my husband would tell you that he was the kid in middle school that climbed up on the gymnasium and did all of the crazy stuff. He's been a skateboarder, trampolines. He has, he's more of the like fire burns and high falls and body awareness. I do more of like repels, fighting and horseback riding. Oh, okay, cool. So you guys must have fun family vacations. <laughs> we do. We have a, we have an immense amount of fun. He's, yeah. he's my best friend and he's incredibly like he lives in the moment, every single moment, which is great for somebody who has a heart condition because he always reminds me that this present moment is really the only one that matters. Mm. So we do, we have a ton of fun. He rides with me, but you know, he also just, he enjoys life. Like he's, I call him my single celled organism because life is just not complicated for him. Like he has zero planning. He has yeah. no plan for tomorrow. Just oh, wow. he's going to wake up and just live life. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite of that. And in some ways that sounds liberating. And in other ways that sounds very stressful for me. <laughs> you know, I was to live with somebody like that. But fun facts, I, I'm not a stunt woman, but I did go repelling on our, our honeymoon. My husband took me repelling at an That's, army base. So it's fun, right? It is. I enjoyed it. I mean, it's just the first step is a little bit like you got to just get over that first I'm climbing over yeah. the wall but yeah the rest of try, it is fun try doing it face first because I did an Aussie rappel an Australian rappel so it was face first running down the side of a building in okay. heels oh my yeah yes okay yeah. anything in heels amps up the stunt yeah it was <laughs> it was really the first time I did it I got my heel stuck in the side of the set so yeah. then I did it with just one foot When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. 
If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. What's the craziest stunt you've done or one of the... Getting married. <laughs> That's the craziest stunt I've ever done. Yeah, well, um, glad that worked out well. Yes. So the, the, I think a week before we had our first daughter, we did a fire burn um, for our maternity shoot. So my husband did one where he had his arms wrapped around me. Um, and his back was on fire. And then I did one where we put this um, fire gel on my stomach. And our joke is that that's what finished cooking Rocky, our first daughter, because, you know, I did a fire burn and, and we put disclaimers everywhere that, you know, we're trained professionals and all of this kind of stuff. So I'm going to put that disclaimer out here on the podcast, like, don't do this if you're not a trained professional surrounded by trained professionals. So, but yeah, I had another stunt professional there to safety us. So mm -hmm. in, in hindsight, that's probably the, the craziest stunt that I've done that I can think about, but repelling face first, you know, 42 feet down a building. And then I would say the other crazy stunt is that in our stunt show, my husband was actually the one who was the the police officer in the show pursuing, I was like the Bonnie and Clyde character. Mm -hmm. So in front of my husband during our first year of marriage, four times a day, I kissed another man and shot at my husband and blew him up. So that's a whole level of yeah. marriage therapy that is really liberating. Yeah. <laughs> you guys have had a wild ride. Huh? <laughs> it's been amazing though. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Has there been a time where you were like afraid to do, or is it like nervous and you do it anyway, or is it like, oh, this is exciting. This is going to be so cool. Or is it kind of a mixture? It's funny because, you know, we talk, you talked about like the complete opposite of yourself. And that's really what my husband is. You know, I'm a planner. I've got a plan and a redundancy plan and he lives for today. And that's true in the stunt world as well. Like he loves jumping off a building and it's like time slows down and he has the most incredible body awareness. Mm -hmm. I don't like that at all. I'm six foot three. So I feel like I'm just flailing until I hit the mat. And mm -hmm. like you said, with repelling, it's really just that first step. Mm -hmm. But it's the idea that there's absolutely zero equipment to help you on the way down other than that pad. And you can get seriously hurt if you fall incorrectly on that pad. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the stunt that scared me the most, like the driving and the motorcycles. I grew up with motorcycles. And so, and I've crashed motorcycles. I think anybody who's ridden long enough has crashed. And so that doesn't really scare me. And I knock on wood, I never got hurt doing a high fall, but it's, it was stepping up and jumping off a perfectly good building that I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of summers ago, I had the chance to do a tandem skydive, which I always wanted to do. And I, and I, so I struggle with anxiety, but it was surprisingly freeing because I had zero responsibility. My husband told me, he's like, you're just baggage. Like I mm -hmm. I have no responsibility. And I knew, I mean, the guy was attached to me. So I knew he was going to be yeah. doing the right thing because he, his life depended on it too, you know, but I really, I just enjoyed the whole thing. It was just so liberating. It wasn't scary. Now, if I had to step out myself, like yeah. under my own free will and, and pull a cord at a certain time and make sure that things were untangled, that would stress me out. But just being a passenger, that was awesome. It was really fun. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I think there's the difference between, you know, skydiving and high falling is the time. Mm. 
you have a bunch of time to figure stuff out on a skydive. And if something goes wrong, you know, you can at least have some time to correct it. Now, if something goes horribly wrong, you know, jumping out of that plane that you're, there's no way you're going to land by yourself. Right. A high fall, if something goes wrong, you have almost zero time to fix it. And it's completely possible that you will disable yourself by landing wrong and be in a physical immense amount of pain. And it's yeah. for, depending on the height of the high fall and the equipment you're using, there's very little risk of you actually dying unless you land, you know, head first and there's some kind of spinal injury, but that's the kind of stuff that you don't want to go through your head when you're stepping yeah. out is like, and that's the kind of stuff that I'm the planner. And so I'm like, I want to know like what to do if this happens and that happens and mm -hmm. amazing stunt professionals that are friends of mine have the ability to do all those redundancies and then step up and then still just clear their mind and do the stunt. But like, I don't, I sit there and I'm just like, okay, this is going to be like less than a second before I hit this bag or this pad. And like, I need to know absolutely everything that could possibly go wrong. And the list is just too long. And so it's just not my stunt. Yeah. Yeah. No, you think, well, that's good. You mentioned, you know, knowing what your skill set, what you're good at, what you're not. And, uh, and I can see too, how I'm beginning to see how all these lessons can apply to the business and the consulting and the life balance thing yeah. that you're doing now too. Um, what are some, some of the, some more lessons that you've learned from that, that you apply to your current consulting business? Yeah. Being able to, like we said, you know, cause people ask me, how do we a stunt woman with a heart condition? Well, I wasn't to your point, I wasn't scared to do the majority of the stunts. They didn't give me stress or anxiety. And for the listeners, I did come home and get my master's degree and became a therapist. And I started to understand that anxiety really is just energy that doesn't know where to go. It's just confused energy. And so when you're feeling anxiety, you can actually use that energy to do whatever it is that you want to do if you're clear on what it is that you want to do. So any of that jitters that I've gotten, like I've been able to kind of direct those in a really clear path by having a really solid foundation and relationship with myself. Mm -hmm. So, but being a therapist, one of the things I realized was that I felt me personally, I felt so limited by being in a room with just talking to somebody about their past in, in traditional therapy. Well, in, in my graduate school, they didn't teach us how to run a business, like open a firm and a practice. And so I found when I looked back almost every job that I had, including being a therapist, I wanted to make the actual practice, the actual organization more efficient. So I knew I had this gift being a third generation entrepreneur for business. So people have asked me like, how long did it take you to figure out that you weren't doing what you were supposed to be doing? And I said, well, I just listened all along the way. Chances are things are going to change now and I'll be doing something else in a couple of years. Like it keeps evolving. I keep evolving. I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. And so the same things don't necessarily fulfill me that did 10 years ago. And just being able to have that relationship with yourself and when, what really clicked with me is I kept hearing people talk about work-life balance. And I felt like it was this magical unicorn that people were beating themselves up over not having, and it really didn't exist. And so what I started to use as far as the phrase was work-life alignment. So what if you just woke up and you made a difference and made an income, but it never felt like a job? 
whether you're working for somebody else or you're working for yourself. I'm like, that's really the key to be able to see it in that way, to see how no matter what you're doing, it's fulfilling your purpose. But in order to say yes or no to that, you have to be able to say, here's my purpose. And so I think what's led to the most amount of resiliency in my life, being an EMT, being a stunt woman, being a therapist, running a lifeguarding and swim school, running five companies right now or owning five companies, I have to give my team credit. I don't have to run them. But I think the most amount of resilience has come from the fact that I'm so focused on my purpose that my why is carrying me through all of the what. Yeah. I don't really have to worry as much about the what, what's happening to me, what I'm doing, because I'm focused on my why. And when I look at my to-do list, it doesn't feel long because I have that why going for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really key. And that's something that eludes me sometimes because I have all these things I want to do. And my husband's always, you know, trying to help me. He's like, prioritize. And I'm like, okay, but I prioritize, but then I still have too many priorities. <laughs> yeah. But just that, that narrowing of your focus of these things are my purpose and these things are not is so helpful. And yeah. what you said about the anxiety is confused energy. I can totally relate to that definition, you know, having struggled with that myself, mm -hmm. because when I do know what to do, it's not anxiety, it's excitement, it's energy, it's enthusiasm. I heard something recently, they were analyzing like professional athletes or something right before a big event. And it, physiologically, the same thing that, that non-professional athletes would term nervousness, they labeled it excitement. So mm -hmm. physiologically, the same thing was going on in the body, but one group interpreted it as excitement for what was about to happen. And the other group interpreted it as nervousness. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to keep that in mind, you know, when I'm nervous about doing something, just reframing that and going, okay, this is really just excitement mm -hmm. about the opportunity in front of me. Yeah. And I found that to be very helpful. It is. It definitely is. You know, I, I, for the women who have given birth, I equate it to the fact that if you focused on the pain of labor, we would never have the kid, mm -hmm. but we don't have an option. Like we know this is yeah. going to happen one way or the other. We are going to give birth, you know, I, when, when you're in that labor room now I've had six miscarriages. So I know that just getting pregnant is not a guarantee that you're going to go through labor. But I remember with my second kid, I turned and told my husband, I don't know that I'm going to remember what like contractions feel like, like, mm -hmm. I, because I have a really high pain tolerance, but it was the day before we actually gave birth that we went to the hospital and we were scheduled to be induced. And I'm just like, why are we doing this? Because induction is not really great for my heart. So, and the doctor was like, well, I'm scheduled for surgery today. So I was already going to be in the hospital. I was like, no, this is 100% not what I want to do. It, it's not my birth story. So we went home and I told him that night, I was like, I don't know that I'm, you know, they said I was having labor pains or labor contractions. I don't know that I'm going to remember what labor feels like, like what the contractions feel like. And he's like, I'm pretty sure you'll remember in that moment. And then 12 o'clock the next day we had our second kid. And I remember in that moment, it was the most pain, that final push, but I couldn't tell you what it, feels like right now, because I don't remember any of that pain. And I think that that's true for my life as well. Like, mm -hmm. I don't remember the pain of falling apart for those eight months after losing my best friend. Mm -hmm. I know that it still hurts right now, mm -hmm. but it's not the same. And so I just, 
I think it's one of the gifts that I've received in my life is within business and within life is just knowing that this pain is temporary and that ultimately it's giving me this amazing gift, whether or not that's a business failure that, you know, it sucks at the moment and money is gone at the moment, but I know that those lessons are going to make me stronger in the end and wiser in the end, or it's the pain of labor. And I get this amazing, brilliant baby Mm -hmm. that I get to hold and, you know, nurture for the next 18 plus years. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it really is about holding in your mind's eye, like that, why, and, and that purpose. And with that, you truly can accomplish so much more than you ever thought you could. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It really comes down to what you focus on. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you're somebody who makes plans like me, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in one year. We put too much on ourselves. (laughs) Yes. So in the short term, we tend to overestimate our abilities, but in the long term, we tend to underestimate our abilities. And so one of the programs that I used for my, my psychology tools and my business tools was actually breaking it up into like your to-do list, like your husband said, prioritizing it, doing that, but the act of actually putting it in a 12-month calendar so that you can really see it because so many people wanted to make it in the 90 days, I'm going to do this. And then you beat yourself up because you didn't get it done. But you, you started out with unrealistic expectations. Mm-hmm. So it's really like, it's called the Defy program and I'll give you the link for it, but it's really amazing to be able to put your to-do list and then match it with your calendar because so many people put goals, but they never assign them to actual timelines or actions. And this is something that when we used to do strategic planning sessions for companies, it would shock me at what they would want to get done in the first year because they could see the next year. But then when we got out to like three years, they're like, oh yeah, well, we'll figure that out later. And I'm like, you, you just put three years worth of content in one year. Do you know that? (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm terrible about doing stuff like that, but I, because we've been a military family, we move every couple of years. And so I just laugh at the idea of coming up with five-year goals. I'm like, I don't even know where I'm going to be living next year. (laughs) Yeah. What's going to be going on. But it is, I, I fall prey to that same thing of trying to do too much and not, not consulting the calendar. So I think that's a great tool. Yeah. And, and just knowing your resources, right? Like mm-hmm. I I'm an army wife and my husband's deploying next year. And he's like trying to figure out everything that needs to get done before he goes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Like I'm a planner, so I'm going to have some plans, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to know what life is going to be like without you, nor do I want to until the day you're gone. And at that time I'll figure it out. Mm -hmm. Like there's no amount of planning that could prepare us for like that day. And so, yeah. So I guess that's my feedback for the audience is that prepare yourself. Mm -hmm. Don't prepare your environment because your environment will change but no one can ever take your own preparation of yourself and your relationship with yourself away from you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So that begs the question, what does a stunt man do in the army? That's <laughs> he works like a dangerous combo. He's a, he, he's an amazingly talented crew chief of a UH 60, which is a black okay. Hawk. Yeah. So, yeah. So my dad's army, my grandfather's are army. And so I married into a stunt family and my husband married into an army family and we converted him. So he joined the army at the ripe age of 30. Nice. Well, thank you guys both for your service. I know it's a family thing. 
Yes. Thank you very much for, for your yeah. service as well. Definitely. It's our pleasure. But I know that some of our listeners will want to get in touch with you and, and learn more from you. Can you just tell us where they can find you in cyberspace? Yes. The best place to find me is on Instagram. So it's bunny has six legs, because like we said, I have a service animal. Um, That was the little uh, jangles you were hearing. It's a giant great Dane who is adjusting himself while he's sleeping (laughs) Um, because he needed to be comfortable. And so that's really the best place to find me. And then honestly, if you want as much lessons as I've been able to produce thus far, we have a giant YouTube channel and everything's on the website, abetterplaceconsulting.com. We try to make as much free as we possibly can for everybody. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yes. Well, I will definitely include those links in the show notes. I'm sure that people will want to connect with you because you have so many great insights to share. Thank you you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. I've learned a lot and it's been a, a pleasure talking to you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.